been a long time running. Hello, 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 listeners. I'm Pedro. And I'm Meredith. And it is the magical holiday season. Oh so my God. close to Christmas. Can't believe you're playing this. And I had to bring this magical song from the cinematic masterpiece of what we're talking about today. Silent Night, Deadly Night. And give it its full respect. Ladies and gentlemen, the warm side of the door. The warm side of the door. What does that even mean? Warm side of the door. Can you feel the passion in his voice? How much he loves the warm side of the door. So if the warm side of the door is inside, how can you feel it on the outside? Because you have to come into the door if you're let in. You have to for- all, you're letting all the cold in. You have to force your way in with an axe, like in the movie. And then that ruins it, because now it's no longer a warm door. Oh, uh, you're right. The whole movie breaks down this whole thing. Yeah. The song is a sham. Yeah. The movie destroys it all. Now you're coming to my side. Now I'm coming to your side. So, <laughs> so this is, like, I think one of the things that surprised you about this movie when we got into it was that, like, this isn't like an independent movie. Like, it's not like My Bloody Valentine. Or, yeah. like, like some guys were like getting together and trying to make a movie. This is like a studio picture. Yeah. And because of that, we have these holiday-esque songs commissioned for the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And this is one of them right now. This <laughs> They did a, a normal soundtrack and they had this guy come in and do this kind of Michael McDonald style voices. Uh, uh, Perry Botkin ended up doing uh, this right here, which is his sensitive rock Christmas music that was very on par for the early 80s. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. And it, it's... um. I think this movie... I think this song is a delicious piece of cheese that goes along with this film as well. Yeah. You, uh, you picked a song here. You know, this is a very original. Um, doesn't make any goddamn sense. I think it, I, I, mean, I think it does. You want to be on the warm side with your family, with the ones you love. Can't you feel his, his passion intensity like, for being inside the house? They're all sitting down at dinner, and they're all talking about how much they love each other. And then one of them gets up and goes right to the door and feels how warm it is. Yeah. It's like it's warm in here with the ones I love. See? You, can you feel it now? No. It's like tonight when, the, when we have the fireplace going. love you. We need, to, we need a chimney We we don't have a fireplace. We have a fireplace. We do, but it's not working. I mean, it works. It'll light things on fire. It'll light our house on fire. Well, it's lighting things on fire, right? <laughs> it's doing the job. <laughs> we did not specify how little a job it had to yeah. do. Yeah. I, I love the passion in this guy's voice. I, I love that he had no idea that this was going to be for one of the more controversial Christmas films of all time. Yeah. So he was like, oh, this dog will be a Christmas classic. Listen to him. wants to hear you sing this song why not is this now your favorite christmas song? i think it is i think it's the only christmas song i've ever loved wow yeah i'm going to i'm going to kidnap michael buble and force him to perform this song just for my own amusement yeah i know you love buble i do love buble and i need him to perform this song so ladies and gentlemen this is going to be it at silent night deadly night this week mm-hmm. as we've introduced ourselves another thing i want to do is if um you have any thoughts about silent night deadly night because we're going to go down the gamut here i'm not even sure if meredith's going to give it a good review i not even sure if I'm going to give it a good review at this point, even though, spoiler, I think I kind of am. But if you want to get a hold of us, let us know that we suck for this idea. Uh, two ways to get, two ways to do that, really. You can contact us by email if you're still doing it the dial-up way, and that's grittyrebootcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Pretty simple. Or you can find Gritty Reboot at TikTok and Instagram. That is the easiest place to reach us. Or you can find me personally as Disillusionist13 on Twitter, or pardon me, X. And Meredith, what are your socials? I don't have socials. That's right. Fuck social media, but not really. Please follow, like, and subscribe. So I want to ask you, as we always start off every show, when did you first see Silent Night, Deadly Night? With you several years ago. Me several years ago. And that makes sense. I think I would have said like, hey, listen, there's a classic holiday horror movie. You haven't seen it. You and I would have been should. down for it. So my origin with this film is, is very simple. Is as a child born in 1983, this movie hit the zeitgeist in 84 to 85. And that would have been, you know, as I was very, very young. So, like, the, the idea and the controversy would have still been around. 
as I went to the video store as a kid, I would see this poster. And this poster was the roof of a house and the chimney. And it had Santa's hand coming up with a bloody axe. And it was like Silent Night, Deadly Night. And as a kid, that image really scared me. It really did. And my sister and my, and my family would kind of mock me for that over the years that I was really scared of this movie. So I didn't see it till I was a little bit older. When I say a little bit older, probably like eight or nine, because it wasn't always present on cable, weirdly enough. It took a long time before I think like USA Up All Night uh, ran it during the holiday season. And I, and I watched it and I didn't think much of it, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. I saw it a couple times as a kid around the holiday season, you know, eight to 10 years old, and, and really never gave it much thought again, yeah. honestly. Until I think we had to, you know, we, we were looking for holiday movies and I, I brought this up as one to watch. You weren't really like enamored with it either. We're like, my God, let's continue to watch Cyanide Deadly Night. It wasn't a movie we were watching too close. Mm-hmm. So. so, yeah, that's sort of the origin I have with that film. Like I said, I had a real early traumatic experience with uh, the cover art. Like, were you scared when you watched it? No, I, I was not. And I sort of knew not to be because I think people told me it wasn't very good. I think I had that knowledge coming in. And it was something that I thought was was more silly than than scary. Certainly, when I, when I saw it for the first time, yeah, I'd already seen things like Halloween and you know some other real horror movies and stuff. So it was just sort of a movie to me. I, I didn't I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. I have really I had no opinion. I had no opinion. But I think the thing that I found intriguing was why the movie got to be where it was and the esteem that it got. And you had no idea about any of, of what occurred. No, I had no clue. Now, first off, I know we're going to mix things up a little bit. We usually do this at the back of the show, but if I may. That's right. The year 1984, Rodrigo was very much alive. And he and Gene Siskel gave one of their cringiest, worst reviews to a movie ever with this one. Because this, this was pure America pearl clutching is what happened in the year of our Lord 1984. When this movie came out, it certainly created a ton of controversy. And, and I have to give you guys just a taste of it. So here is a clip of the Ebert and Siskel review of Silent Night, Deadly Night. Coming up next at the movies, a film that dreams about a red Christmas. Our x-ray subject this week, the controversial Santa Claus killer movie, Silent Night, Deadly Night. Actually, there have been two controversies about Silent Night, Deadly Night. Even before the film was released a couple of weeks ago, its TV ad campaign caused a furor with its brief depiction of an axe-carrying Santa Claus. The distributor of this film, TriStar Pictures, which is co-owned by Columbia Pictures, CBS, and Home Box Office, pulled the commercial out of release after a week of protests by parents led by a Milwaukee group. Of course, commercials like that usually die out after a week anyway, so thanks a lot, fellas. But there's no question in my mind that the showing of Santa with an axe on free TV and commercials is sick and sleazy and mean-spirited. So let's repeat the names of the people who did it. (laughs) TriStar Pictures, co-owned by Columbia Pictures, CBS, and Home Box Office. It's HBO for the initiative. I've got news for you. It's worse than the TV ad. Telling a typical mad slasher story about a boy who witnesses his father being shot and his mother being stabbed to death by a maniac in a Santa Claus suit. So now the traumatized kid grows up and is asked to work in a a toy store as Santa one Christmas, and it freaks him out. He impales one naked girl on a set of antlers, spears another woman with a bow and arrow, and another with a knife, and yes, we even see Santa give one little girl a bloody knife as a gift and threaten another little girl with physical punishment as he sits on his lap. You might think that it would be funny, Roger, or it's played as quite thick in the film. So let me repeat the names of the writer and director and producers of this film. Michael Hickey wrote the film, Charles E. Sellier Jr. directed it, and Ira Richard Barmack produced it. You people have nothing to be proud of, even if you made a few bucks <laughs> off of all the negative publicity. Your profits truly are blood money. Blood money. Night, Deadly Night now has the distinction of joining I Spit on Your Grave as one of the two most contemptible films I've seen. And I don't mean to think it's campy. It really is quite awful. I'm glad you mentioned those people's names because quite frequently they think, gee, we'll make this exploitation film. We'll be able to buy our uh, Mercedes. Exploitation film. What we did. But I would like to hear them explain to their children and their grandchildren uh-huh. that it's only a movie. Yeah. I think that would be a real interesting explanation. Yeah, so there really was a ton of pearl clutching, pearl clutching about this movie. People absolutely were up in arms about the idea of a killer Santa. And to me, it's incredibly strange because this is not the first killer Santa Claus movie. Uh, there is the Tales from the Crypt film, and I'm not talking about Demon Knight. I'm talking about uh, they made a movie, uh, a British film in the 70s mm-hmm. based off the old AC comics. And one of the stories there was about a killer Santa Claus at night where Joan Crawford 
uh, was a woman being terrorized by Santa. She's trying to protect her kid. I wish I think she also killed her husband as well. They would uh, Robert Zemeckis would remake that segment for the TV show Tales from the Crypt. I think as their first Christmas episode, or it might have been the pilot. I'm not real certain. It's an early episode. It's fantastic. I yeah. know you've seen it. Yeah. It's it's the same thing. It's the same difference, basically. And then uh, there was Christmas Evil in 1980, which also featured Santa Claus with a bloody axe as well, a very similar cover and a very similar story about a man who was disturbed and, and puts on a Santa suit and ends up killing people, even though that movie is way off the wall and very different than this one. So why does this movie have all the controversy? Why doesn't it pick up steam with every mo- all these other movies? Well, I think the big thing was just a marketing blunder. They ended up showing ads for this on CBS Family Time, but, you know, like CBS sitcoms. Uh-huh. And so kids were still awake when they see this ad for a killer Santa and it was a slow news day and mothers had nothing to do. So a few called to complain to the media. They got an interview on local TV because of a, a, a slow day. And there became protests outside of theaters in Minneapolis. And that slowly spread all over the country. And, and I want to mention, too, is this movie was pulled from theaters because uh, of the backlash of this controversy. And it is notable because this movie was pretty damn successful. This actually came out, most people don't realize this sort of date when this movie comes out in the Pantheon of Horror Movies, comes out the same weekend as Nightmare on Elm Street. And it beats Nightmare on Elm Street at the box office. Hmm. It almost has double the gross of Nightmare does. Now, obviously, time would tell which one would be the bigger classic, but it is just something to note. This movie was profitable. It was making money. You know, I think it almost, it, I think it made over double its budget back in the four weeks it was released before it was pulled from theaters. Yeah, because people want to see what they can't have. Yeah, exactly. I, I think as the controversy grew, and I think there was there's always interest in sort of holiday-themed slasher movies. Those were really popular at the time. And this was a, was a, a themed slasher movie. Mm-hmm. So people went to go see it, you know, at least in good numbers. I know that the attendance started going down, but for the most part, this movie made money. This is only $750,000 to a million-dollar movie, depending who you speak to. So, you know, to make like $2 million from a few weeks out of the box office, that's fantastic. And that's pretty much what the movie brought in throughout America. So it was pulled because of this controversy and also because the parent company of TriStar Pictures was Coca-Cola. And Coca-Cola, they were, well, I mean, they are responsible for the reintroduction of Santa Claus, the American culture. Mm -hmm. And so Santa Claus being their mascot, they had a vested interest in not having him look bad. Yeah. And this really got a lot of attention. Like, you guys know how the news cycle works. Sometimes something grabs people's attention for no reason and just holds on to it for, for dear life. And this was just one of those situations. So in four weeks, this thing burns itself out and it's pulled out of theaters entirely. And that is the genesis of the controversy of Silent Night, Deadly Night. And you got to hear a little bit of uh, Roger Ebert uh, talk about, like, what was the big deal with the movie? And uh, basically, I mean, that's a finger on the pulse of how audiences really felt at the time. And even a few months later, when they tried to bring the movie back, there was still controversy about it. Last Christmas, Silent Night, Deadly Night, that's the one with Santa as the axe murderer. Well, it's coming back. Dick Shoemaker has that story in our news studio. Rob, when Silent Night, Deadly Night was first released, many parents were shocked that a movie about a maniacal Santa Claus would be shown at Christmas time. Well, now it's the month of May and the film's producer is trying again. It'll play in every every part of the country, including backward in some places where it began to play and was pulled. Silent Night, Deadly Night, the movie that shocked America, outraged Hollywood, and frightened the government. The new advertising campaign plays up the earlier controversy about the film, when angry parents picketed theaters where it played, and the critics took offense. And Silent Night, Deadly Night now has the distinction of joining I Spit on Your Grave as one of the two most contemptible films I've seen. Hey, it's Gene Siskel again. It's campy. It really is quite awful. But the producer claims critics had other motives for reviewing the film. They were coming off an enormous amount of publicity on that picture, and I think that they knew that by reviewing that picture on their show, they would get higher ratings. And Ira Richard Barmack produced it. You people have nothing to be proud of, even if you made a few bucks off of all the negative publicity. Your profits truly are blood money. Shame on you, Siskel, and shame on you, Ebert, because I don't believe you. I think it was the height of hypocrisy for them to take that attitude. If they genuinely were horrified at the picture, they know very well that the most effective thing they could have done is to not review the picture. He's not wrong. I find it so amazing that if you say a guy gets into a Santa Claus suit and he's driven over the line, that people don't on the face of it see why that's funny. Silent Night, Deadly Night opens in 93 theaters tomorrow in North and South Carolina and in upstate New York with plans for a wider release already in the works. So you heard the producer there, Ira Barmark. Mm -hmm. And so 
all this controversy that developed around this film, despite everything that occurred, they really had no idea they were going to step in it. They didn't think there was any big issue with a Santa Claus killing people for the reason I mentioned. Yeah. They just weren't aware of it. This producer would accept un, uh, unrepresented scripts. That means a, a writer without an agent. Mm-hmm. And so this kid from Harvard writes a script by the name of Paul Camini, Paul Cammy, pardon me. And he sends it in and he reads it. He thinks it's garbage, except for the one thing. It's about a killer Santa on Christmas Eve. So they take that concept and they give it to Michael Hickey. And Michael Hickey was not a big fan of slasher movies. And I think that shows in the way this movie is laid out as a story. Because mm-hmm. it's not like a lot of slasher movies. But they give him the task of basically making this a good script. And so he does that technically. And they end up producing this movie first, like I said, around $750,000 without any real fear or controversy. That they fear that they were going to run to any controversy from Santa Claus. They were more worried about the Catholic Church. Yeah. And we get into it as we cover it, but there's fair reason for that. But they really had no idea they were going to step into it with this. And it's really what made the movie a, a classic. You know, it's what got the movie seen. And, and, it, and it is a, a classic. I mean, people love this movie. This is one of Quentin Tarantino's favorite horror movies. Mm-hmm. And I mean, legitimate. I, I heard an interview with him talking about it. He gushes about this movie. And I mean, I like it. But good Lord, man, chill. Like, he really digs it. So, you know, that controversy certainly did help. But I just think it's interesting. They had no idea they were going to step into it. Yeah. So, and, and be that as it may, you know, the... The, the lead actor here, who I actually think is is quite good in all honesty, Robert Brian Wilson, he ends up playing Billy Chapman at his, as he's 19 years old, and he grew to hate this movie as he moved away from it and only really embraced it around eight years ago at the 30th anniversary. Mm-hmm. And so the director hated this movie until um, he died. <laughs> he really had nothing but horrible things to say about working on this movie. They didn't want to do it. And at times it kind of shows in how he makes the film. Yes. But it, yeah, 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 this is lazily directed at times. Other times not. But it is just one of those things. There's a lot of interesting facts about this movie, and that's just there's a lot that leads into it. Normally, we don't talk about the production of the movie this much beforehand, but I think this was just such an interesting case that that's a part of what this movie is. Yeah, you know that that media backlash that came came forward is you know why we're here. Why there are five of these movies? That's right. There's five of them, guys. I Garbage couldn't believe day. that. Yeah, we we saw a second one, which is yeah, it was literally, awful. which was literally forty minutes of recap of this movie. Yes, it was ridiculous. There's going to be more recap of that movie in Silent Night Deadly Night Two than we do today. Yes, <laughs> that's insane. There's no way we would recap for forty minutes, but that movie shows the scenes we'd saw before. So we, I didn't even need to refresh my memory. We just watched that the other night, and I was like, oh, it's like watching the first movie again. Yeah. But anyway, that, I mean, that, that's about it, right we there. Watched it for Garbage Day. Yeah, pretty much, pretty Garbage much. Garbage day. And the Umbrella Kill is kind of funny, but otherwise, it, I don't even recommend it. It's a really bad movie. It's just you know, kind of dull. It's not fun at all. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I guess- there, there, At least we, the first one's a fun a little bit. Yeah, we had to watch just to see if there really was that much recap, and I knew there was, but I didn't think it'd be that much. Like, I thought maybe like 25 minutes tops, not 40. Mm-hmm. But anyway, let's actually get into the reason we're here, and let's talk about Silent Night, Deadly Night. Yeah. Before Christmas, when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care, in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. This is this is it. Cyanide Deadly Night starts off with we get the title card, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's just that wreath flying towards the screen in a font that looks eerily similar to Black Christmas. Mm-hmm. But it starts Christmas Eve, 1971. 1971, a magical year. I have no history facts about yeah. 1971. A family drives their station wagon. Mom talks about Santa as the kids starts to ask questions. Yeah, we have Billy in the back. He's reading The Night Before Christmas. And he has little Ricky is being cradled by his mother in the front seat. Mm-hmm. They're talking about going to go visit grandpa. Yeah. In the loony bin. In the loony bin. Well, yeah. In the loony bin. That's, a, <laughs> that's the PC way to put it. Now, let me ask you, and it's something food for thought. Whose father is he? I think he's the dad's father. That sounds logical, right? Yeah. But it could go either way, right? Like the movie isn't very clear about whose dad it's supposed to be. No, because I think the the wife calls him Papa or something. Yeah, like that. that's what sort of threw me off. She but calls- that's not out of the ordinary. Or incest. 
Ew. Huh? It could be. Why'd you go there? It could have happened. You don't know. That's why maybe why they weren't very clear. This is a pretty fucked up movie, right? Billy's a little slow. He's got gargantuan strength, huh? You don't think he's a product of incense? Product of incense. Yes, <laughs> product of I in- think he's a product of incense. <laughs> incense. <laughs> <laughs> No, you're not, you're not feeling me on this one? No. There's a lot of fucked up things in this movie. You don't think that's one of them? No. Listen, I think you're wrong, but hey, to each his own. Whatever, dude. To each his own. Well, like I said, they end up at the loony bin to see Jimmy's dad. Ellie tries to talk to him. Who oh, both of their fathers. Yeah. Okay. Okay. No, so they go to me, and he's completely catatonic, right? Yeah. He's there chilling. He's got, he's the, just hand, like, he's got the hand on the nuts. And I'm wearing pajama pants just like he is, just chilling in the chair. And they talked to, which by the way, we missed one of my favorite lines in the movie from the, the actor who plays young Billy. And they say, well, grandpa can't hear us or see us. And he's like, well, why are we going? Which made me chuckle the yeah. very first time I watched it. Cause that's a super kid thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> why are we going? Well, that logic. Well, the parents end up leaving and they leave the kid behind with creepy grandpa. And he magically snaps out of it and starts talking about Christmas Eve being the scariest night of the year. Grandpa? Mom! What do you want her for? She can't help you? Nobody can. You're scared, ain't you? You should be. Christmas Eve is the scariest damn night of the year. I'd be scared too, if I was you. You know what happens Christmas Eve, don't you? You know all about Santa Claus. He brings presents to all good boys and girls. <laughs> Your daddy told you that. <laughs> well, i tell you something. Santa Claus only brings presents to them that's been good all year. To the ones that ain't done nothing naughty. Naughty. All the other ones. All the naughty ones. He punishes. What about you, boy? You've been good all year? You see Santa Claus tonight? You better run, boy. You better run for your life. For your life. It's good advice. Really, it is. I, I'm in love with the first 25 minutes of this movie. I really am. Like, I think this is a really creepy scene. Yeah. The music, the performance of the grandfather, which is over the top, but really works for how it's played. The kids playing of it where he is frightened, but not terrified. Yeah. Like he's scared of what's going on, but doesn't know what to make sense of it. You know, like you can't really, mm-hmm. you can't really process what's, what's happening here, but he is absorbing the information. Yeah. It's like, why is grandpa talking? Yeah. Why is he talking about Santa being? Exactly. He goes, r- he goes right back to being catatonic. Yeah. As we are. As the parents re-enter the room, as you heard at the very end of the clip. And I wanted to play that whole clip because I, this is, like I said, I think it's creepy and I think it's a really well done monologue. And there's also a great clip somewhere of Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez actually reenacting this clip, which is quite funny. So, I mean, people really like this. But I, like I said, I wanted to play it just so you have the context of how this really plays into the movie. Because mm-hmm. I think it's very important. And like I said, this first 25 minutes is so well done. And so this leads us to them leaving and heading back home, right? Yeah, the parents come back and Grandpa basically snaps out of it. But before Billy goes, he whispers in Grandpa's ear that he will be good. Yeah. And then Billy talks about Santa Claus punishing bad kids like pretty much the whole way home. Yeah, yeah. And he, you know, his parents have to sort of calm him down a little bit. So then we see a Santa who is up at a convenience store and he ends up holding it up and kills the clerk. 
Yeah, and this is a surprisingly brutal little scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it surprised me because we get like a, a very matter-of-fact close-up on this guy's face as he's shot in the head when he's on the ground. Yeah. Like he just kills the clerk at like point-blank range. And by the way, props to that guy for caring about his minimum wage job enough to die. Yeah. Like he wanted him to take it, asshole. I'm, I'm not fucking dying. <laughs> Hands up. Like, take what you want, man. I don't care. Just let me be. Yeah. Like, but no, he tries to bring out a gun and fight for it. He gets shot and only $31 is all that he acquires from this robbery. So the Santa takes off with that having killed a man with 31 bucks in his piece of shit car. We get the family driving down the road. Again, there's a lot of family driving. And they see Santa. Yeah, they see Santa broken down in the middle of the road trying to flag them down. They argue whether or not they should wake up Billy. But Billy, Billy's already awake. Yeah, the kid is terrified. He's screaming, no, don't stop, don't stop. Grandpa told me that Santa was evil. And they have a quick little discussion about whether or not Grandpa could have been lucid enough for this, Mm -hmm. which to me leads me to believe that they're a pretty good family, that they would believe their son at face value. Yeah, right. That he would say something like that and go, huh, interesting. And you're really led to believe they're a real ideal nuclear family, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Like their life is damn near perfect as what you're led to believe by how you see everything with them. This does not go well for them. Santa holds them up and they... gun it in reverse because he pulled out a gun mm-hmm. but santa shoots to the car and hits the dad and yeah he's a crack him. shot and nails him through the window yeah because he's shot in the forehead again santa pulls the mom off out of the car as billy runs off into the high grass and throws her down on the ground and rips open her blouse and, and we get now he rips open her blouse and then we get like a cut to a tight shot of just her breast right yeah as like it's opening so it's a it's a very a very a sleazy shot would be the way to put it, right? Mm-hmm. It's very exploitative. It's very. Yeah. Well, he ends up slitting her throat. He he acts like he's going to rape her, but he, he ends doesn't. up just slitting her he throat. Just as, her as throat. Billy watches on and his brother Ricky cries in the car. Before we go into the next scene, you don't really know what happens to the baby. No, you you, you really don't. And that, that's how the scene is punctuated. Like Billy is staring at his mother as she lays on the ground topless, her you know, blood dripping onto the pavement. Yeah. And here is this man screaming for the child, you know, where, you know, where is he? He's like, I'll kill you. And he's just staring up at him and he just, his brother's cries and screams are all that can be heard in the background. Yeah. The baby's just crying. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it really is an, an, uh, a really sort of haunting sequence, you know, and there's a brutality to it. I think one of the things that is interesting about the movie is this director who will we'll be critical of at some points. I think he's fine here, but uh, Charles E. Sellier Jr. He did not direct any of the kills in this movie. He left that up to his editor for some reason, and that was Michael Spence. So if you notice, and I talked about this when the clerk was shot, it was a very matter-of-fact, straight-on kind of shot. Almost no style to it, right? Mm -hmm. Just literally your camera right above the guy, boom, shot in the head, great. And that's why, because someone who wasn't as experienced behind a camera did them. And so that's why a lot of these things are sort of -of matter-of-fact about how they're portrayed, which has a soullessness to them, but also leads to the brutality of them. Why would they do that? Why would they hire a man who didn't want to shoot death sequences to do a horror movie? That you can ask the producer, because that seems like a dumb fucking idea. No shit. <clears throat> Which is also probably one of the reasons he hated this movie. I know he just didn't have any appreciation for the genre. So why he would, why this would occur, I have no idea. But multiple people told this story on set. I think almost every actor who's talked about this movie mentions that that was indeed the case. So it's not like some Spielberg really ghost directed this movie. Like, no, that's a fact. Yeah. Like, he just didn't want to direct the kill scene, so he had somebody else do it. And we'll go over and over. The kill scenes have a little bit less flair because at least this director is somewhat stylish, if not dumb. <laughs> yeah. Limited in his range. Yeah, I think he's limited. There's some times, and I think in the next sequence, we'll really see him shine, which I think is the scene he was probably the most interested to shoot. Mm-hmm. But yes, this horrible flash murder comes to an end, sadly, as Billy is and, and Ricky survive. Now we're in 1974 mm-hmm. in an orphanage. Yes. And Billy is called on by a nun to bring his drawing up to the front of the class. Mm-hmm. And he does, but it's, it's disturbing. Yeah, it's Santa being stabbed to death and a reindeer being decapitated. Yeah. And we're introduced to uh, Mother Superior here, who chastised him for daring to, to draw this. Mm-hmm. And then we're introduced to the other nun, uh, Sister Margaret, correct? Sister Margaret. Yeah, Sister Margaret. Sister Margaret's the face. And, well, I mean, Mother Superior is the real heel of the movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, she really She's is. the real bad guy here. She's the one that causes all of this. Yeah, she really does. She really and does. And that's why we get the flashbacks from back in the orphanage. Mm-hmm. We can build that about the character, which is interesting. Yeah, and I think this is unique. We don't really get a movie that lets us travel with the serial killer for 25 minutes until we get to Rob Zombie's Halloween. 
Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, realistically, we we just don't see this side. We build up who the the victims are, and we barely find out anything about our bad guy who you know what made him tick. And it's fine. Like Black Christmas, we don't know anything that makes that Billy tick, and it doesn't matter. Mm-mm. It's not important. But I think this is another interesting way to take, and I think that's something I told you about when you had a screenwriter come who had really no familiarity with the genre. He did something kind of different. That's kind of, and that helps this movie be a bit more unique. Mm-hmm. The nuns basically fight over Billy, but Mother Superior is like, bitch, I'm going to watch him. Don't you worry about a thing. I got this kid. Well, yeah, because Sister Margaret believes rightfully that the trauma from his past is slowly resurfacing, that mm-hmm. he needs treatment. And Mother Superior is like, treatment? Nah, he needs a whooping. That's what he needs. Billy is upstairs alone, and Sister Margaret comes and is like, come on, let's go play with the other kids outside. He puts his jacket on and heads out, but he hears something. Yeah, he hears some 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 noises that are unfamiliar to him. Something that sounds kind of like moaning. Yeah, so he walks in. This is my favorite scene. He walks further into the, the orphanage, and there's this great shot as he's walking against this white background, which is a crucifix is the only yeah. decoration on the wall, and he slowly walks into the direction of the crucifix. And he turns to where he hears these noises, and he sees the door. And he's on the cold side of the door, the outside. And the light is shining through. And he goes down to the keyhole. And here comes like my favorite shot in the movie, which is as he looks in and he sees these two people inside having sex. Mm -hmm. We show the reverse shot of Billy and you see the keyhole light on his eye as he's like entranced by what he sees. Yeah. You know, intrigued by it, not understanding it, but like he knows it's something he shouldn't look at. But the actor is, is very good. All the Billy actors are really fantastic. You can tell he can't look away. Yeah. And this is a really incredible shot. I honestly love the way this whole sequence is laid out and played. It feels like it's from a much classier film. If it wasn't for the exception of the awkward boob groping, mm-hmm. I think th- th- this really is an incredible sequence. Yeah, he's really entranced by that whole sequence. Yeah, and you can tell like what a pivotal moment this was in his mm-hmm. life. Like, it's, it's kind of interesting. We get to see like two Billy Core memories, a few Billy Core memories before we move on to him as a man. I think that's that's key in, in the understanding of this film. And then Mother Superior comes into play and she catches Billy looking at this and she hears the moaning and she goes in and she sees the two naked people. Yeah. And she takes a fucking belt, closes the door on Billy and like start freaking going to Starts town to on them. And, and I thought that was wild too. Like this movie has a lot of kinks in it. Yeah. And that's all I'm saying. Like for a nun to whip you, you usually have to pay extra for that. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say about that. But I mean, honestly, like I was thinking that how do I know that guy's in there. He's like, oh, harder sister. I mean, sorry, punish. Yeah. Uh, and Billy goes outside and Mother Superior comes out there and basically like, did, what did you see? And he was like, nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. I mean, it's understandable to him. He can't really understand what that yeah. was, but he knows what he associates it with. And she's like, they were unclean and, and they were bad. And people who are naughty must be punished. And this idea is established early on that punishment is a good thing. Punishment cleanses this very Catholic ideal. Mm-hmm. Well, luckily, this is where we find out what happened to the baby in the car. And it's his brother, Ricky, who's there. Yeah, his brother, Ricky, who is now like uh, just a year younger, right? Mm-hmm. For some reason. Yeah, and I want to mention that because he will stay this same age for yeah, some which reason. Doesn't make any sense. <laughs> in the later, when Billy is nineteen, he will only be another year older. I don't know why Ricky. Ricky's got some weird Benjamin Button aging thing going. Yeah, because it was Christmas Eve, nineteen seventy one, when they got when he'd been like one years old. Yeah, when he he would have been. Well, I think he would have been. Well, let's just say at least one years old. Yeah, and this is what. December 1974, so three years later. He'd be three, he'd be three he'd or be four. Like three or four. He'd be four or five, I guess, maximum. He is not that. He's clearly like eight while Billy is 10. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're very close in age there for some reason. Billy has a nightmare about his parents. Mm-hmm. And Mother Superior ties Billy to the fucking bed. So, yeah, he has a nightmare due to the sex that he saw, reminding him of that, triggering. And we see how it runs through and affects him. And Mother Superior's answer to him, and by the way, he's not running through the orphanage screaming. He's just walking. Yeah. He just like, he needs to like walk to like chill for a second to calm down after reliving something traumatic. And so she just grabs him and ties him to the bed in pure child abuse, right? Yeah. The other sister's like, you shouldn't. And she's like, do not help him. Like she is all down. Like we will beat him into submission. We will beat him until he, yeah. <laughs> until he learns to act right. And that's her way. And I mean, it, it, it's just torture for poor little Billy. 
The next day is Christmas and all the kids are opening presents and Mother Superior is just like, these kids are being ungrateful. Which is true. They're like they're, they're play, having they're fun kids, with they're kids. playing with toys. Yeah, what do you want? That's, that's what happens. The kids once they get it, like there's a thank you, and then they go and play. If there's even a thank you, that's yeah. how it goes. It's what it's it's just what kids do with toys. It's fine. Yeah, but she's a miserable woman, so that's how she looks at the world. Well, she's like, I'm going to fix Billy real good, and she makes Billy sit on Santa's lap, which throws him completely into crazy mode and he ends up punching santa claus yeah so her brilliant idea just throwing him on here while he's like like clearly like having this fit and seizure like he does not want to be any part of this he just drops off of santa's lap and cole cocks him knocks santa clean out and breaks his nose right yeah knocks him down he gets up he's like holy crap like they like he's bleeding yeah and this already establishes billy's gargantuan strength yeah yeah it does and we will visit this later on and there's another great shot where he runs up to his room. I didn't mean to be naughty. I didn't mean to be naughty. And he's just like in the fetal position, rocking back and forth. And then you hear Mother Superior open the door to no doubt lay a whooping on him. And like he just looks up with pure terror and fear as it freeze frames and slowly pushes in on him. And then 10 years later. 10 years later. So yeah, he'd been nine there. So he could be 19 for this. So spring of 1984. The spring of 1984. The Billy's all grown up and he's kind of cute. Yeah, yes, yes. Despite his hairy ass, he's good. Yeah, God. We'll get to it. So he's hired an Iris toy store, which is another pure bit of 80s stuff that there's this brick and mortar independent toy shop, mm-hmm. right? Like that's like that's not a thing today. He gets a job. And then after that, there's like a job montage of yeah, Billy yeah, being before, a good employee. Before we get to the, the job montage, can we talk about the owner Ira I fucking him? Oh, because yeah. we're introduced to Billy as well, this is how it goes down. The sister is introducing him like, oh, I need someone to find, to find some work. You know, he, he's going to leave the orphanage and he just needs a job. And the guy's like, well, this is only for, to work for, for a man. And he clearly knows Billy's like 19. So he's not like asking for a 12 year old. Yeah. So he's like, well, let me introduce you to Billy. And instead of just having a shot where Billy walks over there or a normal reveal, we have a pure like slow tilt up Billy, moose knuckle and all. Slow tilt where we can see every bit of his mature body yeah. at this point. I mean, like I said, it's a pure eye fuck. This is a shot you see when they introduce a hot girl in the movie, mm-hmm. right? You slowly, you know, look up her body. The male gaze is what they call it. Well, in this way, the male gaze was for Billy's hot body. <laughs> yeah. But that's who, I mean, it literally is from his direction, his perspective. But it's just sort of an interesting way he chose to portray it. As I said, this director did some odd things. I think that's just a fun one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> He's he's sexy for him. Yeah, yeah. That that's that's the storyline I wanted. So, like I said, we get a job montage, and it's just Billy being a good employee, and the music is super. Cheap. This is the warm side of the door. They play. That's what they play here. Yeah. Can we play again for no, context. No, sure? please. Yeah. You've already played it for me enough. <laughs> I've got played the car for you last night. At mm-hmm. I ripped it. Billy sees a picture of Santa, and he looks a little strange. And then the montage is over. Yeah, so we can establish that Billy is a good employee. Everyone seems to like him. We've exited the part of the movie that, that I love, yeah. which is the, all the earlier flashbacks. Now we're entering to the other part of the movie, which I don't necessarily, I would loathe this, but it, it certainly is less interesting. Billy is fighting with a little guy. I can't remember what his name is. I, I don't remember either, but this guy's a real a pipsqueak. A little, little Italian dude. Yeah, it's um, he's like five foot four or whatever. And Billy's like a big, big dude. So it, he certainly does tower over what's his face. Tommy? Tommy. Tommy. Billy sees Santa and freaks out. And Pamela, his, his love interest, comes to his aid. Man, yeah, I so- think we get another slow motion reveal of her. Yeah, we, well. yeah, we do. This, it's all just female slow motion, male right? gaze. Yeah, we see another male gaze shot as we we see her. Because well, Billy is supposed to sexually desire her, so I guess that's okay. And we, we yeah. do get a scene to back that up. And it just, makes yeah. sense. It makes more sense than the shop clerk. Yeah, it certainly doesn't make more sense. What a strapping young man! I can't wait to have him in my mouth. Like that's just the show, what the shot says. And then we stumble into a clunky as fuck sex scene. Yeah, this is the fantasy scene, right? Yeah. So, yeah, this is like softcore porn shot sex Oh, it's terrible. And they they backlit poor uh, Robert Wilson here. And you can see all of his ass hair lit up. It's so furry. Yeah, he's got like a, he's a hairless dude and he's got like a fro on the undercarriage. (laughs) I don't know what's going on there. But yeah, he had like a, like you saw it like, whoa, that's a, that's a lot of ass hair. And I didn't say it out loud, but as you watched, you were like, hmm. 
That's a lot of ass hair. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you just said exactly what I was thinking. So I was like, okay, that is a ton of ass hair. <laughs> yeah, it was gross. Yeah, it was gross. Far, far more ass hair than we were prepared to deal with. Maybe. Maybe that was a thing to let your ass hair out. but I, Well, I, yeah, I just don't think there was a shaving apparatus at the time. Like, you have to understand he's got to get in a really weird position to shave that part of his body. He, he doesn't even know that ass hair is there. I know on uh, Love Island, one of the guys gets his mom to shave his ass hair. I don't have a response to that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a response. Maybe he just needs his mom to do it. Yeah, well, he just ask his mom. I just go to her grave. Hey, mom, you shave my ass hair? <laughs> Huh? Just, <laughs> is that what you want? Oh, yeah, like, oh no. Dead. Ah, punish. She's... You just made this movie happen earlier just to get rid of his ass hair. Thank you. <laughs> I have to find ways around it. <laughs> I can't stand it. It's so gross. Uh, well, that sex scene, that clunky as fuck sex scene, turns out to be a nightmare. Yeah, it actually does have a really cool shot of like Santa's glove against the black background as he like stabs right into the camera and like guts Billy at the side. Mm hmm. Billy wakes up sweating, sweaty, sweating and, and covered in semen. I'm assuming from the first part of the dream. Wow. Yeah. He just had the biggest wet dream of all. Well, he's still a virgin. So yeah, I'm, I'm assuming so. Well, the next day they're at the uh, store. They need a Santa to replace the one that they had. Yeah. Cause they're saying, I think he broke his ankle and couldn't make it. Yeah. And I was like, well, you broke an ankle, man. It's not exactly a physically demanding job where you got to go out. You're not, you're not playing hoops. One of the clerks says that the manager should do it, but he's like, fuck, no, I ain't going to do that shit. As he, sh- he should. He should. He, he got himself killed with that decision. So good call. Good call, Jack Wagon. Yeah. So he asked Billy to do it. Yeah, that's not going to go poorly at all. So Billy, for some reason, just doesn't say no and run away. They, Yeah, they get him into the suit and he's totally freaking out. You can tell he's freaking out inside, but he's just not saying anything or doing anything about it. It, For now, it, at least. To his credit, I mean, it is his job, so I guess I understand why he wouldn't say anything. But this is one of the issues where, like, this movie brings up some neat ideas, but it's just not as smart about them as I think the movie thinks it is. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those things, too. Like, there could have been a li- little bit more that went into this as well as, like, a core memory part, you know. As carefully crafted as those earlier scenes are, this part just isn't. And it, it already shows. That kid is on his lap squirming as he's Santa. This is kind of an uncomfortable scene where he's just like, come down, stop it. Stop it. And eventually she's like, I'll he, punish you. Yeah, he tells her she's being naughty and he's going to punish bad kids. And she starts to kind of mind him. And all the mothers are like, oh, he's so good. Oh, look how him. it calmed her down. There's only one stream of urine running down his legs from her. Because yeah. she's clearly terrified. Yeah. She immediately runs to her mother once it's over and hugs her out of fear. Mm-hmm. But everybody seems to love him, so. We get a scene of Sister Margaret calling to check on Billy and finds out what Billy's doing at the store. And, and I like this because she talks to his nemesis and he's like, oh, yeah, he's just out there. Uh, you know, he's uh, playing the Santa Claus. And I love the look on her face when she's like, oh, no. Yeah. It's really well played. Like she has a level of concern for the character and everything that really is is fantastic. She's like, more than worried. Yeah. The, the acting in this movie isn't necessarily the problem. There, I mean, there is some bad acting, but for an 80s slasher movie, it's really not that bad. And it's very evident in just her expression there. Well, the store closes up. And, and it, boy, does it close up. Seven o'clock. It's over. Time to get shit faced. <laughs> you know I clipped it. Yeah. You know I clipped it. They bring out all the booze. Best line in the movie. And Billy sees the woman that he likes going away with the jerk. Yeah, yeah. He kind of drags her away when he's like, "I got a present for you," but uh, you know, uh, I can't show you here. And I was like, "You might as well just say, hey, uh, it's my dick.'" Yeah, I know. <laughs> at, at least he had the presence of mind, and I go, "I got a big present for you." At least he was realistic. All the all the men in this movie are rapey. It's a rapey ass movie. It yeah. really it's a rapey ass film. I, know. I mean, it's just the way things sort of. Well, it's not necessarily the way things were in the eighties. It was a little bit more accepted, but this director clearly leaned into it. Yeah, especially by these leering shots of breasts that he puts in there. Well, he sees Tommy and Pamela making out. Billy's incensed, basically. Yeah, 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 and that's because he's a product of incest. That's, you're, that's gonna, the, you're just gonna hammer that that's on, not what you mean you? that's that's not how you, you apply that no no so he really is freaking out at, at seeing this and you know i think it's up for debate whether or not billy realizes that it's not consensual yeah i don't know if he even knows that or can comprehend that mm-hmm. he just sees him rip open her shirt and expose her breasts and he immediately flashes back to that night well we're not there quite there yet. oh we're not i'm sorry yeah okay no uh i wanted to say I don't know. I thought about that too, about what Billy interprets in things. Yeah. 
And I don't know if they were truly making out or if that's just what Billy saw. Because we're, yeah. we're with the character of Billy mm-hmm. the whole time. Yeah. So it's like, and we're with the killer. Yeah. So it's like, does he really see that or is that what Billy would see? That's a very good question about how some of these things are portrayed in the film. Is that just how Billy views the world? Mm-hmm. And I think that is interesting to take a look at. Yeah, that's always what I thought about the scene. I was like, well, I don't know if we're actually seeing them making out. Yeah. Well, the boss is drunk and talking crazy to Billy. And he kind of unknowingly basically pushes him to the crazy brink. He does this whole bit where he's like, you know, you got a lot to do at tonight, don't you? You got to deliver presents because you're Santa. He's just shit-faced and, and, you know, goes with this whole Santa thing. As Billy's growing more and more uncomfortable and uneasy. And then we see Pamela going into the stock room with Tommy. Yeah, so here, I got a little ahead here, but yeah, here's where they end up going to the back. Yeah. And, and then the manager and another employee are drunk singing. Yeah. So that's going on. That's a holiday party with like five people. Yeah. Billy goes to, into the stock room and the jerk starts to rape Pamela. Yeah, yeah. There's a slow shot of Billy making his way to the back and it echoes the way the scene that you love was shot. As he slowly makes his way to the back. Now, there's no crucifix or anything, but what there is in the toy store is tons of licensed toys. There's like, um, you know, Mr. Potato Head, you can see Mickey Mouse, you know, all these licensed characters that you could never put in a movie today because you have to clear them, but nobody gave a shit back then. Yeah. I just think that's kind of funny to see, like, like you know, the Muppets right next to the killer in this movie. <laughs> they have an inverted cameo. But he makes his way to the toy store in very similar fashion, very slowly, before he comes upon them and is really just enraged by what he sees. Yeah. Billy flashes back to the night his parents were killed. There's a graphic match to Pamela's breast being exposed to his mother's breast being exposed at that night. So he puts, you know, we're shown a direct comparison with these white flashes, these really annoying white flashes to let us know Billy's having an episode. He comes to and strangles Tommy. He doesn't just strangles Tommy. With a string he, of lights. Yeah, he wraps these lights around him and he lifts him up. I know. Like a Superman. Oh, just holds him up like this. I mean, I know he's a small guy, but he ain't that small to hold up just like that. So he holds him up and slowly chokes the life out of it, which also makes him bleed from the neck as well, which is quite strange. Mm-hmm. But and another, once again, like these kill sequences were shot a little weird. And that's because they once again shot by the editor. So here's another one. He does that right in front of Pamela and she's automatically like, get away from me. He kind of goes towards her, but she's like pulls away. and. At the end, he pulls her towards him with a box cutter, and yeah, she dies. Yeah, he ends up uh, gutting her right there, you know, with the utility knife. And I always wanted, I was always curious, is if she would have been thankful to him, do you think she would have survived? I think so. You think so? I, see, I don't know if he just looks at them both as naughty in that moment, if it doesn't matter or anything like that. I'm not really 100% certain, to be honest. I like to think that it would, but like I said, I just don't know. Well, we flash back when we see that scene, we flash back to the mother. Mm -hmm. So obviously he's equating it to the same scene of his mother. I agree. So I would think that he's sympathetic to that. Yeah. Okay. I agree with your logic on that then. Yeah. The manager goes into the stock room because he thinks he hears something, but he gets his head bashed in by Billy instead. He gets hammered. Yeah. You see the hammer claw end in his head. Yeah. The other employee outside that's drunk goes after the manager and she ends up finding him dead with a hammer stuck in his skull. She tries to run, but the Santa comes after him with an ax. Yeah. Yeah. Billy, she has, she gets up to the phone and starts making the call and Billy cuts the phone cord, Mm -hmm. which that's how you had old phones used to work. She runs and then she tricks him and he falls over and he pushes, she pushes past him and grabs the ax but he fires an arrow at her, killing her instantly. Yeah, yeah. He immediately just pulls back and like fires that right into her chest. Yeah. Kills her right then and there. Sister Margaret shows up and she finds all the dead bodies. Yeah, she does come by later to follow up on that call and she sees everybody dead and she alerts the police. Then we kind of shift. We, we really shift in tone here. We go to a young couple who are making out with some heavy petting. Yeah, this is a uh, screen queen, Linnea Quigley. Yeah. And um, she is, this is where the legend starts, I believe. So she's in this movie for just a brief period here. And this is just a couple having sex. This is just a standard slasher movie mm-hmm. killer vignette. <laughs> just two random people just need to get killed. The younger sister interrupts them and she convinces her to go back to bed instead of coming downstairs to see what's going on. Mm-hmm. 
things resume and she thinks she hears her cat and she goes upstairs. But it's not her cat. It's, well, her cat shows up, but it's Billy with an axe. And he throws it at her. Then she picks it up only to impale her on a deer head. Yeah, and this is one of those, when the first time I saw this movie, I didn't see this kill coming, because why would you think that? Mm-hmm. It wasn't until she picks her, he picks her up, I'm like, oh crap, she's going to go through the antlers. And that's something I don't think I'd really seen in a movie. Yeah. So th- that is a, a pretty cool, interesting kill. It's a little cheesy, but once again, I mean, Michael Myers, you know, he stabs a guy through the heart and nails him to a, the cold side of the door. And the the guy that what she was having sex with was come starts to come to. Yeah, well, he he was playing pool and he's like, yeah, what is going on up yeah, there? He hears all the racket. And oddly enough, it's a fairly realistic reaction because he kind of comes and sees the open door and is like, oh shit. Yeah, he's like, oh, shit, the, the door's been cut through. He sees the cat. He's like, oh my god, there's no warm side if the door's been cut through. What's happened to our lovely home? Oh my god. So he runs through the house. It was a warning, babe. The song was telling us. So it's it's a warning. He runs through there. He's calling her name, and of course he finds. Billy instead finds her impaled on the antlers and finds Billy and they, they have a brawl, which I, I enjoy. It's not a simple kill. Like they duke it out. Yeah. The guy actually gets the better of him. Yeah. He tries to call nine one one while they're fighting, but he's attacked again by Santa and he throws him out the side, the window. Yeah. We don't actually know what comes of him until later on in the movie where we see him outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That he he's that move killed him. We, yeah. Like, there's no like kill shot. Oddly no, enough. Like, not I, until later. I guess the editor didn't come in to be like, "Can you show him dead?" Like, I'm busy, and so nobody shot it. Yeah. <laughs> but Linnea Quigley is clearly dead, and it's not like he would just leave him alive. He spots the younger sister and asks if she's been good. An incredibly tense scene. He has box cutters, and it looks like he's about to kill her, but she's I don't know his innocent her innocence just yeah. Like, well, there's makes a, him there's, snap well, out of that's it. Just, no, that's how it works. He's he's Santa. Yeah. He's punishing the naughty. And he just sees a little girl and she, she hasn't been naughty. So he's like, here's your gift. And he has the only thing to truly give her, which is something he's been dealing punishments out with all night. And we forgot to mention, dude, this whole time, Billy's just like, punishment. Yeah. Naughty. This is like the only things that he says over and over again. He hands her bloody box cutters. But really, by the way this movie is, has been done and the soulless nature of it, by, by the time you really watch this scene... Like, you really don't know what Billy's going to do on a first viewing. Yeah. Like you don't know, like I said, if he's just going to slash that little girl's throat. Because we've already seen some pretty extreme violence at this point. So it wouldn't be out of the realm that he could do something that's even a bit obscene for a slasher movie at the time. Mm-hmm. We just kill a kid. But he does not. But it is a very tense scene. I think Ebert and Siskel really missed the, the boat on that one. Yeah. I think it's tense. It's more than I think it's exploitative. We get a shot of the police. And they're patrolling looking for Santa. And they spot one going into a window. And it turns out just to be a father trying to surprise his kid. Yeah, they just kick their way in this dude's home and go up there and <laughs> just yeah. scare the crap out of him. But this scene is completely pointless. Pointless. Uh, and a lot of these late 70s, early 80s movies, there would be these weird comedic cop interludes, and this is one of them. And mm-hmm. it, it's not very good. It doesn't add to anything. Just waste time. Meanwhile, we're back with crazy Santa Billy. Two kids are out sl- sledding, and one hears jingle bells. Then two other bullies come after their sleds and beat them up and steal the sleds. And they also hear jingle bells. That one of them goes down sledding, and the next one's like, "Okay, I'm coming down now." And he hops <laughs> on the sled and ends up getting his head chopped off by Santa Billy. I do want to mention the actual corpse, the body doesn't look so bad, but the severed head looks awful. Yeah. And this is a weird thing for a movie that's not that low budget. The effects just aren't that great in this movie. No. It just deserves to be said. Like a lot of the kills just aren't that well done. Like even earlier when. Uh, Tiffany or whoever's love interest was, was getting gutted. Pamela. Pamela. When Pamela was getting gutted, I mean, I didn't look really good either. So yeah. this is another one that doesn't necessarily hold up, but it is a fun idea. It's a fun idea. And it, I mean, it's executed well enough, I suppose. We come in to sister Margaret and she's asleep at the police station and is awoken by the detective who tells her that there's been three more murders. They want to predict his next move, but. And that's how we know that the guy died sister immediately thinks that he's going to the orphanage. Yeah. And she would be right. Yeah. I mean, she'd be smart to know the only place that he really gave a shit about was dealing justice to the only person in the movie who really deserves punishment. We get a shot of a little girl playing with the phone and she leaves it off hook as the, as sister Margaret's trying to sister Margaret and the cops can't get a hold of the orphanage. They can't get through. But crazy Santa Billy shows up. And the kids get excited to see Santa. Yeah. And then you see the stupid cop show up 
And they end up killing the wrong They shoot him down. Yeah, yeah. He's like, stop, stop. And he won't stop. And he's going towards Ricky, right? Yeah. He's going towards Ricky, Billy's little brother, who is now a little brother again. And right as he reaches him, he shoots him down dead in cold blood right in front of the kids. And this scene is all sorts of wacky because, like, it's no sold by the cop. And then, like, the... The nun that comes out is more like inconvenienced by the whole thing than horrified, right? She's like, children, get away. Ricky, get away from him. Yeah, Mother Superior reams the cop that killed the father. Yes, he should. He was fucking incompetent. Yeah. He tells them to all stay inside the orphanage. Mother Superior gets all the kids and sings to distract the kids. I do like how Sister <laughs> Margaret, before that occurs, when we find out that it was the father that he killed instead, that she goes, oh, he didn't stop when he was told to. Oh, no, he's deaf. Like, I love her reaction. Like, yeah. He perfectly explains it. <laughs> but she she was actually really good in this. In this scene, Mother Superior seems to have like slightly lightened in her punishment. Well, she doesn't want the kids killed. I don't think that's lightening her punishments. I don't know. I think she's kind of lightened her. Her heart's grown a little. Well, I, I think this is why the finale, to me, doesn't, doesn't work. Mm. Because... I think they clearly want to establish that Billy is the heel and the mother superior is the face. And they, yeah. haven't, they haven't done that work, which is the problem. No. Yeah. And I, I think that's why the, the finale to some extent rings a bit hollow, but I guess we're not there yet, but I, I do agree with you that she kind of acts different towards the kids. Yeah. Because she, she's a little bit more loving and, and obviously they want to show her like, Oh, I, I don't, I, nothing, no harm should come to the kids. And I think she would have felt that way back then too. But I mean, who the hell wants harm to come to the kids? Right. right? Nobody. So yeah. it's not really that, it's, it's not really that big a deal. But I think they do try, maybe I can agree, they do try to soften her a bit so we know that Billy is the bad guy coming to kill her. The cop searches the premises and stays alert. He checks on an old shed. The shed leads down to what looks like a boiler room. This is an incredibly long scene of this it's cop. pointless. Just walking around. It's pointless. And it, it reminds me of like the Exorcist 3 scare, except uh, Exorcist 3 scare, except terrible. You know, because it takes its time to build, but it doesn't really build anything. He just walks around the facility, goes down, looks in the cellar, and turns around, and then immediately, punishment, and then gets hit in the chest by mm-hmm. the axe and is killed. And it's a cool shot when he's down in there. I like that he's, you know, alone, bleeding to death down there from the axe wound. But, I mean, otherwise, I mean, like I said, it's a really long scene. I think I might have dozed off during the scene. I mean, it's a really, at times, this thing just slows down for no reason. Anything with this cops are really lousy. Yeah. Santa Billy goes indoors, and Mother Superior tries to protect the kids. Billy raises the axe, but ends up getting shot and killed. Yeah, the the other detective finally comes in there with Sister Margaret, and they they finish Billy off before he can kill the only person in the movie that really deserved it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why the the ending, the, the finale doesn't necessarily work to me, but the ending does, because he's shot, and he goes down, Sister Margaret holds him, and she tries to give him one last moment of comfort as Billy is clearly insane. He goes to the kids, Santa's dead or Santa's gone. His last utterance is naughty. And then we get a tilt off of Billy to the axe. And then it goes all the way up Ricky till we see his face. Mm-hmm. And then he delivers the line. Yeah. And naughty. And that's, that's it right there. And it's a sequel tease. And I think it's a pretty good sequel tease, to, to be honest. Um, at the end of the day, I do like a lot of elements of this movie. It's not quite as smart as it thinks it is with some of the trauma or certainly how it deals with it. The directing doesn't help. I think the acting is fine for the era which it was made. You know, yeah. I'm not going to criticize. I've, I've let worse acting slide. So this is not that big a deal. Some of the acting here is quite good, especially from all the actors who play Billy. And I think Mother Superior is appropriately terrifying at times. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't really have necessarily a low mark to give it there. So it's a bit of a mixed score for me. I'm going to have to lean, because it's the holiday season, I got a little bit of holiday cheer in me. I'm going to give this a seven. You are? I'm going to give it a seven, which I think might be a little bit high, but there's a little something here. Just a little, though. It doesn't really follow through with it. But if you like slasher movies, and if you certainly love them from this era, I think you're going to find a lot to appreciate in this movie, that it's a little bit different, and it does have a little bit of fun to be found in it. There certainly is some cheese. I would give this movie a six. Okay. I think it has real, it has real potential. There's a lot of things in here that I could see in, in another movie, with another for a reboot. director, cries yeah, for a reboot. that could do a lot a better job. Maybe love the film a little bit more. There is a cult aspect to the film that I like. Uh-huh. It's 
cheesy, but I, I love that it's a killer Santa. I just love that idea. Yeah, and it is the best holiday movie. Killer Santa movies. I do have a soft spot for Christmas Evil, and it has Killer Santa. I mean, Christmas Evil has the weirdest ending ever. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know if we'll ever cover. You've never seen it, so I mean, it's not even a spoiler. It's just odd. Well, we got Violent Night, which is. But that's not a killer he's Santa got, in that in he's, that he's way. He's a killer Santa. Yeah, but not in that way. <laughs> yeah, but that's still killing Santa. <laughs> yeah, he's fun. Yeah, I mean, I'll give it to you. You are right. He is a killer Santa, but not quite as a, as a, as a slasher stalker. So I I did like the movie. I don't know if I could recommend it, so that's why I give it a six. Yeah, like I said, I, I was real careful to say I'd recommend it to slasher and horror fans, especially ones of that era, because I think they will definitely find a lot to appreciate and enjoy. But if you're not, it, it, it may not necessarily be the strongest movie for you. I think a once in every three year viewing of this film is. Yeah, I don't think it's one I necessarily would watch every year like Black Christmas. Yeah. You may watch Black Christmas at night. Why? It's fucking amazing. Go back and listen to last year's show. We love that movie. Yeah. I mean, I, I love that movie far more than I love this one. Yeah, I do too. I've seen these movies quite a bit over the holiday seasons over the years. So it, it is what it is. A, a decent recommend from a light recommend from myself and an almost no recommend from you. Yeah. Even though you didn't give it a fairly positive score. Yeah. All right. With that being said, I think we are ready to move on to whatever facts you might have. Most of my facts are going to kind of support what you had to say about yeah, the production. Yeah, I, I did really take a deep dive into it because yeah. I know for a lot of our younger viewers, they might not have any, younger listeners, pardon me, they might not have any idea that this shit ever happened with Silent Night, Deadly Night. The group formed to protest the film and lobby for it to be removed from theaters was called Citizens Against Movie Mad- Madness or CAM. CAM. <laughs> yeah, that, you have to have an acronym that's just how it works with yeah. these guys so that was theirs it was okay i guess had the movie have stayed in theaters longer tristar pictures estimated it would have earned well over 20 million dollars yeah the, the movie was on its way to being a hit and certainly it would have picked up more steam as the holiday season went on it got released a bit of before the holiday season so mm-hmm. that's kind of interesting Phil donahue dedicated an entire hour of his tv show to the controversy surrounding the film and I was able to find a copy of this on YouTube, and the VHS tape was so degraded, I could barely make out what was going on. Yeah. I don't know why someone even bothered uploading it's it. It's ridiculous. Like, it was like shadows dancing back and forth on the screen. I, I was like, I don't know what's going on. Occasionally, the audio would clear up, but I didn't even bother ripping any of it for you guys. I was even suspect on the Ebert clip earlier, but I did what I had to do for you guys. The film's controversy led to Charles Seller having difficulty finding more work as a director forcing him to retire from filmmaking and focus on producing instead. Yeah, yeah. And this is another reason why he probably hated the movie. It sort of ruined his career. And I think if he made the movie a little bit better, he might have had a little bit more leg to stand on. But the controversy was unfair to the film, but shit happens. Yeah. And then my last, well, my second to last fact. Even though executives at the studio stayed away from the media when the controversy erupted, writer Michael Hickey said he accepted any request for an interview he got including Entertainment Tonight. He thought the controversy was absolutely hilarious and and a lot of fun. He said, I was in no way chagrined by the controversy. I thought it was great. This is a film that could have sunk like a stone and never had been heard from again. And suddenly it was leading the CBS Evening News with Dan Rather. I didn't know how to take that. It is a real solid point. Like this is a movie that just should have been forgotten in all honesty. Yeah. But it lives on in infamy just because of all that, all of what they did. So yeah. they did the exact opposite of what they wanted. My last fact, the film was banned in both Ontario and Alberta, Canada in 1987 due to its content. Yeah. I saw some Canadian posters and stuff from later releases that I thought was interesting. That every now and then happens with banned movies. Like nobody ever unbans them. So they might have like releases in the nineties or even later than that. I know Cannibal Holocaust was that way. The UK only getting unbanned maybe like 10 years ago, mm-hmm. which I think is kind of funny and interesting if you really think about that. We don't, we don't have an Uber review, so we just have a user review. Did you find anyone who loved or hated this movie? Which way did you lean this week? I went with a 10-star review. I like it. It got a 46% on Rotten Tomatoes. And Higher a, than I thought, oddly enough. Yeah, a 5.8 out of 10 on IMDb. No user reviews. Really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. I'll, I'll write one later. This review is called A Rarity in Horror. A Rarity in Horror. Most horror films are dark comedy mixed with action. The word horror is so overused that we are numb to its meaning. But this film can induce true horror as it strikes the very root of our society's obsession with religion, folklore, and superstition, and its schizophrenic relationship with sex and deceit. Most of all, it leaves you questioning who the real bad guys are. The kindly nun may be unambiguously sympathetic, as the robbery murder Santa at the beginning may be purely a villain. But what else can be said of the moral status of the characters? 
Was it great that the mental, mentally ill Billy Santa was shot to save the abusive Mother Superior, who had played a major role in making him the way that he was? When Billy killed the would-be rapist at the store, only to be assaulted by the victim as she knew the man who tore her shirt and thought Billy's reaction excessive. What of that? What of the babysitter having sex and telling the little girl not to come downstairs because Santa wants her to be sleeping? In terms of violence and sexual content, this film is no more graphic than other, many other slashers, but it was controversial precisely because it forces the audience to reassess its smug, complacent, and very overly simplistic views of good and evil. This review isn't poorly written. Yeah, that's why I chose it. Yeah, it's not poorly written at all. It wasn't bad at all. I think he made a really good case for why he loved the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I can't really hate on that. I'm a little more enthusiastic mm-hmm. for the film than I would have been. But I think he laid out his case pretty damn well. Yeah, he gave it a solid 10 out of 10. So Yeah, and now we have to introduce the fact that there is a little bit of disappointment for what comes next. Is because Silent Night, the remake in 2012, is not necessarily a straight remake or a straight remake at all, in all honesty. And I think that is a bit of a disappointment. It really just takes the idea of the killer Santa and, and that's about it. Yeah. So it's something we'll talk about, uh, you know, next week as, as we move into it. But it's just something I wanted to mention right now before we get into it, uh, before we talk about it next week. It, it is not quite the remake we would have anticipated. We're going to get a remake of this core concept in a couple of years, from what I understand, or next next uh, Christmas year. It'll be our last podcast of the year. That's right. All right. With that, ladies and gentlemen, we are out. We are headed to our own warm side of the door. <laughs> All right, guys. See you guys. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Where are you going? The song's still playing. No. You can't leave yet. No. Oh, the songs don't take your don't take off your, your cans. Uh, you call them cans. She's already doing her post show straight. Guys, tell her that the, the song is still going. Give the show five stars for this kind of content right now. Please like and subscribe. Tell your friends you just heard the best movie podcast that had the best song in the world on it. You can't leave the studio slash my office. You can't leave just yet. We're, we're still in the middle. This song still has yet another chorus to go. I've been abandoned on Christmas Eve. I am now on the cold side of the door of this family. Don't fall on the table. On the warm side of the door. See you guys.